Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. When you look at who gets care, it's primarily a white, upper-middle-class individual. That's who's getting care. And so you sometimes get this false sense that that's the only people that have infertility. From Offscript Media, I am Matthew Zachary, and this is Out of Patience. Today's show is very personal to me and millions of people like you. Fertility and family planning. You know that whole, you may want to be a biological mom or a dad one day, but bad things happen to good people, so good luck with that. Joining me is perhaps one of the most unsung advocacy heroes you may never have heard of, Barb Kalura the president and CEO of Resolve, the National Infertility Association. Did you know that one in eight couples, perhaps more, struggle with infertility? And that's not to discount the single men and women who may not have found a partner yet to build a family with, let alone the hundreds of thousands born infertile or left infertile from cancer, chronic disease, medication, or many, many other reasons. Barb has worked on our behalf for years with the NIH, the National Cancer Institute, the National Health Council, and yes, the World Health Organization, because they're actually an incredibly amazing governing body. So whether you have sperm, eggs, embryos, a uterus, some of them, or none of them, this episode is the story of you. And bonus points, if you can say the word iatrogenic 10 times fast, and or perhaps find any word in the English language that rhymes with it. With the passion and zeal of a thousand sons, today's show is the show you need to listen to. So I guess it's good you're listening to it right now. Enjoy. Barb, welcome to Out of Patience, not just because that's the name of the show, but both of us are literally out of patience, working in advocacy and liberties and rights and entitlements and benefits and all the stuff that you should deserve when shit happens. God, we're out of patience, but I'm so excited to have you here on the show and expose my listenership to what's been a phenomenal professional, personal relationship for a long time now. And you've been at this organization called Resolve for as long as I can remember for all the right reasons, but help us understand what are we trying to resolve? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me and for putting this program together. I've been listening to your podcast, uh, have, it on my, have it on my phone, love hearing your voice. And of course, all the issues that you're covering are just uh, so needed, Matthew. So, so thank you. Well, what are we trying to resolve? We're trying to resolve people's family building struggles. That's what our organization, Resolve the National Infertility Association, focuses on. It's that it's that family building piece. You know, if 
if it's a struggle, if it's not happening, then we're an organization that might be able to help you in what we call that journey, that family building journey. And it's funny because the organization was started in 1974, so I didn't come up with the name, but people always would say, what is it? Is it like an acronym? What does it mean? And then once they understand the term resolution and that family building resolution, how have you resolved your family building, you know, then it kind of all makes sense, the name of the organization. Right, because you are the National Infertility Association, but Tnya doesn't really sound like it should be. It sounds like its own rare disease. You don't want to, I got Tnya today. No, no, you don't want to. Bad, 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 bad. No, yeah. correct. We want people to, to get to a point of resolution. And when you think about that, Matthew, you know, you think about choice, you think about access, you think about, oh, that's a happy place. That's like under the rainbow, happy unicorn place. And it, that's not the, that's not how it works out for everybody. That's why we're here. That's what we try and do. As advocates, we don't appreciate, I think, the, the nodding head syndrome of people that like, they're saying my story. That's me. Why haven't I been just as pissed as them? And now I realize I can be just as pissed as them and do something. Creating advocates is is our job. But I want to go back to, I was listening to a radio program and I say radio kids, not podcast, radio program with the, the legendary Diane Ream in 2012. Yes, I did archive and spelunk this for you uh, on the trials and tribulations of assisted reproduction. And these data points are still true. This is eight years later. One of the eight couples struggles with infertility. It's probably more now. And while some have medical problems, some of them, the problem's not even identified. And we're looking at the fundamental basics of following culture, your own way, and wanting to be a family, right? Let's go back to the beginnings. This is something that is the dawn of civilization, reproduction. We're fertile beasts. We're mammals. We're animals. We want to have kids. It's instinctual in many cases. And yet, things happen that prevent that. Where do you guys fit into that conversation? Yeah, I mean, a lot of things happen that make that dream of family impossible for so many of us. So that's so funny you went back to the Diane Reem show because I've done a lot of different media interviews as you have, and I'm sure we all have like our the one that we were like so excited about, and that, that definitely was one. I have been at this now at Resolve in this role since 2007, and I feel like a broken record. I feel like I don't really change my tune a whole lot because not... Well, we have seen a lot happen, Matthew, because of organizations like yours and the work that you've done, the work we've done together, but it's still not anywhere close to where we need to be. And so from my perspective, we fit in where anybody is struggling. So that might be a medical reason. That might be um, because you're a single woman. Maybe it's two men and maybe it's somebody who doesn't have a uterus anymore or sperm anymore because of medical intervention like chemotherapy or surgical reasons. So you get to this place where you want to be a parent, you want to have a family, and you can't. And so how do you then take that next step? Where do you go? How do you find information? We know that it's a journey that can really wreak havoc on your life. And, and so you might need mental health support. You might need you know, emotional support. And then you get to that point where you're like, what? This isn't covered by my fabulous health insurance or you're telling me I got to jump through all these hoops. Like my favorite is, 
oh, we're not going to send you to a specialist uh, to help you get pregnant until you've had three miscarriages. Okay, great. <laughs> I'll get right on that. Oh my God. You know, this is this is our healthcare system. And we all know in, especially in this, this social justice movement that's sweeping the country, uh, healthcare has always had a lot of disparities. And boy, in our field, that is really true. I had heard rumors in the ether of this, and I was hoping you could either bunk this or debunk this, that to the extent that parenthood is a liberty or a right or a freedom or an entitlement, those all those words kind of mumble jumble in, in syllable land. Did the Supreme Court ever have anything to do with how that falls under being an American citizen? There has been under things like the Family and Medical Leave Act and other case law where the right to procreate, the right to family is a liberty that that we have as a nation. And so that we believe that the courts have upheld that and we just believe that fundamentally our founders that that was that is part of who we are in this country it's not there there are a lot of people matthew who view it as uh, a luxury view it as this isn't this isn't your right if it happens it happens and we don't see it that way we we see it as a fundamental right of of every person yeah and and for all the God's will, people out there. I'm sorry, this is not the show for you. <laughs> I'm just going to put that straight out there to the listeners. If this is a God's will argument, you can go and listen to some other show. That's great advice. Yeah, you heard it here. So let, let's dive into, obviously, reproductive age, you know, early 20s. I mean, we're not talking teenage and college, like early 20s, 30s, maybe, maybe early 40s these days with, with technology. But is it true that the overwhelming majority COVID notwithstanding, of people facing infertility are employed and those benefits are bound by their employer. Okay. So you're saying the overwhelming people with infertility are employed. Um, so infertility, this is, this is part of the problem, Matthew, in our field is that when you look at who gets care today, it's primarily a white, upper middle class, urban, employed individual. I've even heard, you know, some folks say like white collar. So that's who's getting care. And so you sometimes get this false sense that that's the only people that have infertility. Because if they're the only ones walking into the clinics, boy, they they must be the only ones that, that have infertility. And so we oftentimes hear this, oh, infertility, oh, right, it's that white women's disease, white working woman's disease. That is just a false narrative because you're only looking at that slice of people that somehow crossed all these barriers to get themselves into that clinic and to get care. And there's a whole bunch of other people that never even can walk in that door. And so they may be employed, they may have their own business, they may not be employed, but for the purposes of insurance coverage, um, you're going to see some states that require insurance coverage for it in certain insurance markets. And then you're going to see, as you said, employers who have chosen to add this to their benefits. Generally, those are big companies. Those are companies with like over 500 employees, generally over even a thousand who are going to be a little more forward thinking in thinking about this. And, you know, you and I have talked about your journey. Think about 
you know, what we call fertility preservation, if you're, if you're dealing with a cancer diagnosis where you have to get care right away and you don't have time to like do a GoFundMe or <laughs> raise a bunch of money and you find out your insurance doesn't cover it. I mean, these are the kinds of things that the people run into every single day. And so it's a real patchwork around the country on what, you know, federal employees are not covered, military, not covered, veterans, not covered. So we, we leave a lot of people out. I mean, with my cockeyed pessimist Brooklyn Woody Allen hat on, is this malicious and intentional or just happenstance because it never permeated into the ether of benefits of employed people? Wow. What a great question. And I wish, I think it's a lot of things, Matthew. I think it's at lack of, of funding and advocacy. Um, you and I running, you know, when you, when you ran Stupid Cancer and Resolve, these are, these aren't, you know, we love these organizations and they do great work, but they're small. You know, we don't, we don't have million dollar budgets. I don't even have $10 million budgets. So, um, you know, you don't have, the funding to to raise awareness and to kind of raise those issues. So our field has really suffered from that. I think a lot of our field has suffered from just silence and, and people not advocating. The doctors are very much, you know, in our camp and supported, but some aren't. And, and so, but the medical community is really, in the last few years has really come around. So that's extremely positive. But I also think, you know, maybe maybe there's some sexism there. Maybe it's viewed as a women's issue. You know, maybe it, it hasn't been viewed as serious. You're not going to die from infertility. So therefore, you know, figure something out. I don't, I, it, it's maddening. It's maddening because the status quo is not, is not acceptable for most Americans. And that's what we have. Yeah, and you you know clearly how brazenly vocal I've been as I feel like the man story in the infertility space. I was, my, my listeners know, I was made aware to bank my sperm because that was what NYU decided was standard of care for anyone in their teens and 20s. That's just, that that wasn't a children's and a college group. Pro they just decided, you know what, we should do this. I don't know what they did with, with female patients back then, but I had to spend, you know, 1800 bucks a year to keep them frozen only to find out like 14 years later, I could do IVF and hope that it would work for cheaper than unthawing them and doing the ICSI process. And it cost me 40 grand to be a dad. So that's the other side of this. Like just because you can preserve fertility and insurance covers it, to what extent is it covered for you to have the privilege of raising a child and spending half a million dollars into the economy? Right. Well, this is this is what we say to some state legislatures who are really wanting to help people with cancer. And they're like, oh, let's pass an insurance law for fertility preservation so they can preserve their sperm and egg before they go through their cancer treatment. And we're like, fabulous. Great. We want that. What, what about down the road when they want to use those sperm and egg and they have to do IVF, how are they going to get access to that? And let's make sure that's covered. And then it's like, oh, no, we're not going to cover that. Well, e e e come on. <laughs> yes, exactly. So this is, this is, you know, you lived it, but this is what people are dealing with all the time. And, uh, and so it's really unfair. You've got, you know, and I, I, I don't always like it when I hear this, but I hear I'm probably going to say it. You've got a case where you've got medical advancements and the rest of us haven't really caught up to that. 
whether it's societal, whether it's, you know, from an, from an insurance coverage perspective. And so while it's kind of like the kid in the candy shop, you know, it's there, you can see it, you know, it's like, it's like a gay couple or a single woman. They know that technology is there. They know that the science has made it possible for them to be a parent, but they can't have it. They can't access it. And, and that's what you have. Back with our guest after the break. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. (sighs) The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. So let me pick up and get a little geeky with you here for this segment, because I want to introduce language to our listeners that they may or may not know, lots of syllables here, but you know, there's congenital infertility. You're just born infertile. It's unfortunate, but that is your predisposition in life. Maybe not the worst thing to have, all things considered, but still something that can be lingering in your head, mental health issues, dating, you know, all, just getting your life in order. But then there's induced infertility, like getting cancer, going on chemotherapy, possibly like lupus, MS, other rare diseases that cause. And that is a fancy word called iatrogenic science. Can you help us understand your role in identifying how that factors into reproductive rights and insurance? Well, don't you love that word, iatrogenic? I mean, I love when I get to tell like legislators how to say a word. It's just, it's really fun. Um, So what is iatrogenic? Iatrogenic infertility is when there is medical intervention into your body. And as a result of that medical intervention, you are left potentially infertile. So like you said, that's going to be chemotherapy, surgical procedure, maybe a a drug, a medication that you've taken for something and a side effect is that it makes you um, infertile. Boy, that sounds terrible, but yeah, but that's, but that's what you've got. And so you have a situation where not everybody has viewed that iatrogenic infertility as something that should be covered by insurance. And that's what we've been trying to do. And you and I and Alice Cresci and 
Joyce Reinecke and, and a few others got ourselves into a room, locked ourselves into a room and said, this is unacceptable and we need to do something about it. We need insurance coverage, no questions asked for iatrogenic infertility so that nobody is left at the end of that process with the inability to have a family. And that means before you take that drug, before you have that surgery, before you go through that medical procedure, you are told your options, it's completely covered, and you get to freeze eggs, freeze sperm, freeze embryos, and that the coverage down the road is also there. So that's the plan, that's the dream, and that's what we work on every day. And so we generally find legislators at the state and federal level shocked that this isn't covered. I mean, Matthew, they're like, uh, excuse me? Right. What are you talking? What? And and so there's that first sort of like, uh, wow, okay, no idea that this was this was a problem. Thought for sure something like that would be covered. And then helping to get that coverage in place. So since you and I started talking about this, I think we've come a long way, but it's been very incremental and we have, you know, so much work to do. Yeah, like the limited engagements I've had on the Hill and at the FDA and and rallying, I'm brought in as like the beast mode version of this where I say, so you want to be a grandpa, old white government guy? Good luck with that. We have awesome stories of our advocates sitting there talking to legislators. And if you look behind legislators' desks, what do they have? Photographs, as well as awards that people have given them. But, But photographs, and the photographs are family. And so we love to say, oh, gosh, looks like you've got a great family and so happy for you. I don't and I can't. And here's why. And and so you're absolutely right. You've got to put it into those kind of personal terms. It's not a partisan issue, but we do find Republicans, for whatever reason, less inclined to want to help our community. It's not all across the board, but as a general statement. So the only way this is going to change, Matthew, is if people speak up and like you, they get pissed off and look, they don't have to go at it alone. I mean, Alliance for Fertility Preservation, call Alice, call me, call you. Like we have ways to channel your stories into productive channels so that it makes a difference, but we need those voices. It can't happen without people speaking up. Yeah, I really do want to talk about how some of these invisible warriors have been going state to state to accomplish certain things. But first, I do want to tie in. So there's always like this top 10 list of things to never say to someone with cancer, which is like, oh, my dog died from cancer. Yeah, because I can totally relate to that. Thank you. But there's a version of that. That's not, do people don't really say that. Of course they do. That's not even on the, oh, yeah, goodness. Yeah, it's, I mean, I think, I think the, the working theory is that we don't fault the uneducated because they didn't have cancer and it's not their fault. They just have a human uh, instinct to want to, uh, you know, maybe have an emotional, intelligent connection that they they understand or empathize. But, you know, hey, don't say my dog died from cancer when someone tells you they have cancer. But there is an analog in fertility, which is a dear friend who had a child, had breast cancer, was aware of fertility preservation. And the doctor basically said to her, eh, but you already have one kid. Just adopt, uh, right? The uh, hashtag just uh, adopt, that, that's really a go fuck you that I'm going to just say right here on the air. But let's talk about the emotional impact 
of infertile women and men who go on Facebook and see all these babies and they're told just adopt like that's really easy when you're a cancer survivor. Well, look, we also have our please don't say this to your friend or family member. I mean, we actually have web content that is, here's how to support your friend, your friend or family member going through infertility and is such a, a, a frequented spot on our website because people need help understanding what to say and what not to say. So yeah, I mean, look, this is a physical, not unlike cancer, it's, you know, it's a physical intervention and issue. It impacts relationships, impacts finances, it impacts your faith in God or whoever you 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 talk to, um, your job, your employment, and and your mental health, and it messes with your head. It messes with your head in a very big way as to you know what's your purpose in life? Why are you here? You know, looking at the if you are partnered, looking at a partner. If you're not partnered, you know, then it's like. I thought this is what I was supposed to do, but I, I need this three things. I need a sperm, an egg, and a uterus, and, and I don't have one of those or two of those or three of those. And so you, you have all of that wrapped up. On top of that, unlike cancer, you have a society that looks at you and says, you must have done something or you're being selfish to the woman who already had a child or there's an easy way for you to do this and you just haven't figured it out. And so, you know, I always say to people, when you diagnose with infertility, you don't post it on your Facebook page and no one's bringing your, you know, hot dishes. I'm from Minnesota, so that's what we call them. And yet, you know, you're alone. You feel stigmatized. Who wants to talk about sex and what's going, what is or isn't happening in their bedroom? But that's what this is. And, you know, you don't go to your boss and you're like, oh, well, you know, it's not happening another month. It's very difficult um, from an emotional perspective. And that that's quite honestly, Matthew, why Resolve started, you know, 40 some years ago. It was around support and connection and 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 really getting with other people who get you. You know, I say to people, get your entourage uh, together. And, it, you know, if your entourage is pretty lacking, come to Resolve because we'll be your we'll be your peeps and and we're your community. So it, it's, um, it's hard to get through this and get to the other side, but if you get support and you treat it as serious as it is, you can get through it. You know, in doing a lot of retrospective, you know, they like to say, if you want to be a thought leader, you have to have some thoughts. And I'm, I'm developing my thoughts based on the last 20 <laughs> years of my life here. But you start to look at how people just kind of used to die from cancer. And now we kind of majority live with cancer and beyond cancer. Fertility preservation, is that now considered like a luxury to have? It's so cool that you bring that up because remember, it wasn't that long ago that the American Cancer Society created a position, I think her title is, you know, head of survivorship. Remember that? And we were like, ooh, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Because when I go to like the Institute of Medicine and, you know, National Academy and all these places that talk about cancer, they're talking about people surviving it and in big numbers. And so now you have a life that you're going to live after cancer. And what does that look like? And you and I know that a big part of that for many people is, is having a family and being a parent. And yet, you know, somebody forgot to forgot to tell them back in their cancer days that they, this was going to be messed up. 
And so you have this happening and greater of the fact that we have the ability to help you and preserve your fertility before you go through all that. And if somebody didn't tell you and you didn't have the option to do that, that's not acceptable. And so we're still we're still trying to fight that battle. We do see more awareness. I have to tell you this story. When we were advocating in New York State for the fertility preservation bill, we had an advocate. She's a young woman. She's probably about 25 now. And when she was 16, 17, she was diagnosed with cancer. And she was able to preserve her eggs. But you know why? Because her dad brought it up in one of their appointments with the oncologist. Wow. And they're, you know, they're devastated. Here's their daughter. And he has the the forward thinking, you know, dad to say, hey, wait a minute, will she ever be able to have kids? And they were like, ah, uh, <laughs> yeah, whoops. And, and then it was, it like started this, this quick, you know, get her in, get her in to, you know, get, retrieve her eggs. And she's like, that's the only, that's the only reason, you know, I'm as positive as I am. But what if somebody doesn't have a dad who says that, right? right? Mm-hmm. Um, so she was such a fierce advocate for us and, uh, and for the cause. So let's uh, take the time we have left to focus on that. The fertility preservation bills, we, we used to call it like flipping states, right? So this has happened of a meaningful substance in the past couple of years, but what does it mean and what is it yielding? Oh God, it's yielding millions of people like California. I think it's like 16 million people in California now have access to insurance coverage for fertility preservation. You know, just in New York state, it's uh, 4.7 million and that's just in the large group market. So there's, there's still a lot of work to do. So what it tangibly means, and I, you know, it's millions of people. It's not just a couple million, it's tens of millions of people uh, have now access to insurance coverage for, for atrogenic infertility, for fertility preservation. It's amazing. And, you know, you get a California, you get a New York, that's a lot. You know, you get a Delaware, you get a New Hampshire, you get a Rhode Island. That's, that's awesome too. We're not sneezing at it. Illinois, New Jersey, Maryland, you know, so we're Colorado, we're racking up the states. Is this the new Doma for Ova? I just said that. I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, people like success, Matthew, and they see this happening and they want to jump on the train and we want them to. So come on, let's make it happen. Well, I think that there's an entirely separate episode about the absolute spelunking nuances of how do you get bills to states to do this and what that means to them. I would love to explore that with you on a future episode. Yeah, it can't happen without advocates. So I would love that because so many so many people we hear, I don't know what to do, but I don't have a voice. Yeah, you do. And we can help you. Yep. Advocacy matters. Advocacy happens. And we need more advocates. Barb Kalura, president and CEO of Resolve. No, no, the National Infertility <laughs> Association. Thank you so much for coming in out of patience. Thank you for having me. So appreciate it. Love you, Matthew. That's all for today, folks. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. Out of Patience with Matthew Zachary is a product of Offscript Media. Our executive producer is Matthew Zachary. Our senior producers are Jen Horanjeff and Andrew McDowell. Darren Tun is our production intern. It is recorded, mixed, and edited by Matthew Zachary. 
Our theme music is by the Mike Van Allen Quintet and by Mara. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscript.com. Hit us up at contact at offscript.com to share comments, feedback, and make guest recommendations. For more information, visit offscript.com. <laughs>